Involve. Solve. Evolve. Welcome to Cloud Crunch, the podcast for any large enterprise planning on moving to or is in the midst of moving to the cloud. Hosted by the cloud computing experts from Second Watch. Michael Elliott, Executive Director of Marketing. And Fred Bliss, CTO of All Things Data at Second Watch. And now, here are your hosts of Cloud Crunch. Welcome back to Cloud Crunch. This is Mike Wally, your host of Cloud Crunch. Joining me as always is my co-host, Fred Bliss, CTO of All Things Data here at Second Watch. Welcome, Fred. Hi, Michael. Hello, and we have a special guest today. Joining us is Jesse Sam, Practice Director, Application Modernization here at Second Watch. Welcome, Jesse, to the hot seat. Uh, thanks, Michael. All right, Jesse, for the audience, can you kind of give a quick synopsis of your background? Sure. So I'm a mechanical engineer turned programmer back when we still called them programmers, I guess, and pretty much self-taught, got in the bullpen with some really smart CS guys out of college at some startups, and I just caught the bug. I've... Uh, been working in the field for probably 20 years or so now and have progressed from that programmer level up through cloud architecture. And now I'm leading the practice here at Second Watch that focuses on application modernization. Okay, so Jesse, you stole my line because we were all just programmers building these huge monolithic applications. And, you know, the term programmer has really evolved, but it's really, you know, the focus today is around application development and how it's kind of evolved. And we use the terms like app mod, we use the terms cloud native development to kind of label this new world. So question for you is, how did we get here? From the good old days to the microservice age that we're no, in when, now, when things right? were simple. I mean, you had a single programming language that wrote to a database and it did mm -hmm. something. Yeah, that was easier, but also not scalable and not very performant sometimes as it grew larger and larger. But you're right, that was the architecture of the day because of a lot of things, a lot of constraints around hardware and networking. And it was just a evolutionary step in how to write software. So breaking things apart isn't a new idea. Back before Amazon even existed, Amazon Web Services, that is, people were trying to break apart these monolithic applications on-prem into services. It went from RPC to XML to now we're at JSON and some other specs out there. We've always tried to do better as software developers and... Now with the advent of the cloud, service-oriented architecture has turned into microservice architecture where you can deploy things much faster, much more isolation, separation of concerns, single responsibility principle. It all comes to play, and it just keeps evolving as the platforms do as well. What are some of the uh, benefits that business users, I guess organizations in general, get out of this, um, you know, compared to how things were over the last 20 years or so? Features faster from a business user perspective. Ideally, the users of your application have no idea how it's architected, right? But if they see more features faster, fixes to broken features faster, 
they're going to appreciate that, right? And then the, on the back end of that, from an organizational perspective, if we're talking about enterprise IT, the enablers for those benefits of the business user are the ability to deploy parts of the application independently. And what that gives you is isolated change and really reduces the scope of a testing effort, for instance. And it really allows you to scale those individual pieces to meet the demands that the users are putting on the application. Yeah, you know, going back to your comment around being able to deploy faster, you know, I remember the stories coming out of, and I think it was what Netflix, where they were releasing code. And we go back to my COBOL days, we're releasing code once a month, if you're lucky. They're releasing code every 10 seconds or every 15 seconds or something like that. And I think there's a lot to be said around your ability just to be adaptive and reactive not from the user perspective, but ultimately from a end consumer perspective or how you meet your business needs to react to your customers. So where I'm trying to go with that is you're talking a lot around the users from the perspective within the business, but ultimately what we're trying to get to is create differentiation in the marketplace for our customers for their customers, if that makes sense. Right. So the, the same principles apply, whether it's an enterprise application or whether it's a consumer-facing application. Consumers want the features faster. They want bugs fixed faster. And it's, that, it's the DevOps philosophy applied to uh, a microservices architectural approach that makes that possible. Um, Regardless of, of e-commerce or app on a phone or uh, internal line of business application, those architectures are supporting all of those things now. And all of those users want the same. Uh, they want a great experience. So let's talk a little bit about DevOps. What, what does that term DevOps really mean? Not from a definitional perspective, mm -hmm. but what it means for the business. What it means for the business is a philosophy applied to the software development process that results in uh, massive amounts of communication between operators and developers of platforms. It means uh, adopting agile principles as well as the DevOps philosophy to, to provide uh, high quality, isolated uh, changes that can be pushed out with such confidence that, like you said, you can push them out every 10 seconds. It's kind of funny because we see, um, you know, over the last 10 years, the, the rise of DevOps has kind of put more responsibility, I guess, in some organizations onto the developer and given, I guess, a reason to no longer need that traditional system administrator. How do you see the role of the sysadmin and the developer, you know, coming together or, you know, what are their different roles today versus um, where they were before? That pendulum keeps swinging back and forth, even even today, where we some companies are are empowering development teams with full stack responsibility, including the cloud infrastructure, including support uh, and bug fixes, and like really making a small uh, IT department out of the teams that uh, develop these single microservices that are composed into 
the larger application. Um, swing the pendulum back the other way, and, and we've got enterprises that want separate teams that are handling the cloud infrastructure, separate from the teams that are developing the software. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to swing somewhere in the middle where we have the concept of the operators of a platform that is, uh, that is a separate skill set from developing applications that run on the platform. We can see that with uh, Kubernetes today, where these microservice enabling platforms become uh, require expertise to to care and feed for these things that has very little to do with writing the software that's going to run on on a Kubernetes cluster. So the pendulum does keep swinging back and forth, but I think we're going to land somewhere in the middle where where there is a separation of skills, but they have to work tightly uh, together, of course, because, you know, that's the DevOps philosophy. And if, if you don't have those skills, I think we've seen some examples in the news of supply chain attacks and things being made easier for, um, you know, malicious actors to get their code out there faster without folks knowing, right? Not really sure about that one. <laughs> I had I hadn't heard heard that, but um, yeah. Why wouldn't uh, malicious actors be using the same principles to push their attacks out faster? <laughs> so let's let's examine this term cloud native. And I, I've had people talk to me that there's cloud native really doesn't exist. It's just a made up term that we're using. But wanted to get your thoughts on. When we talk about cloud native, what does that really mean? Cloud native, I don't think it's a made up term. I think it describes something pretty real for, for software developers. Um, if you go in into a development of a, a new application with, with cloud as, a, as the first class uh, priority, you're going to leverage platforms and you're going to go all in on a CSP and you're going to, you're going to use all their integration offerings, all their hosting offerings, and you're going to write your code in a way that is native to that CSP. Um, to me, cloud native is a lot of things. There's a whole, uh, Kubernetes as cloud native. Yeah. Kubernetes is, uh, deployments are cloud native if you choose to run Kubernetes on top of the CSP. Um, some people refer to cloud native and they mean serverless, like immediately they think serverless uh, development. So cloud native is real and it's a, it means to me that where your code is going to run becomes a first class uh, uh, requirement to the design of the application. And what do you, um, how do you see some of these more niche, um, I don't know if you call them CSPs, but <clears throat> more very specific application of serverless cloud native providers like, you know, fly.io and, you know, Cloudflare, not really a niche one anymore, but mm -hmm. kind of starting to offer their own cl uh, cloud native services and offerings that are competing now directly with the big ones. From a, a developer perspective, um, I, I think that you're that you're right. It is super niche still right now, but the everybody's trying to provide a, a pretty similar experience. Uh, you see the the major CSPs uh, announce something, and then the the next CSP will follow suit. So they. They aren't identical services, but everyone wants to have the table stakes to attract the development teams to build on their 
on their platforms. And the niche players will likely just follow suit as well. So do we end up by standardizing on one CSP or one of these niche providers, same place we were before from a monolithic perspective of it inability to move those applications for another environment? Well, that's the the hot and heavy religious debate right now, right? Do I, do I containerize everything with the hopes that I can move it around to the different CSPs or back home uh, and then back out? Can, do I want this ultimate uh, flexibility in where I run my applications? Or am I going to go all in on a, uh, a particular CSP, write everything in a cloud-native CSP native way and uh, gain the efficiencies there. So the clients that you're coming in to interact with, where are they headed? We see a lot of Kubernetes right now. Um, serverless was groundbreaking to say the least. But over time, the developer experience uh, around serverless, it just... It just wasn't as robust as the development experience around a containerized application. So we, we think serverless is going to cool off a little bit in favor of Kubernetes and other container orchestration platforms, but not only because of the developer experience. That's it, uh, full circle to the multi-cloud ambitions and the multi-cloud being so buzzworthy right now. Um, a lot is driving folks towards the, the container experience. And I, I think that's, that's the focus for us right now. So let's start. You brought up multi-cloud and distributed cloud there. What's your insights on this trend? I don't think multi-cloud or distributed cloud is, is going to reach its promise for a while. Um, even, even around the container orchestration platforms, um, there's not complete parity across clouds. Um, you still have to deploy separately. I mean, there, there are companies trying to solve this, right? Single deployments, any cloud, there are, there's software that you can layer over the top of all of your, your CSPs and, and try to get that single pane of glass on a control plane. But I think it's going to take a, take a while for that to be really mainstream especially around uh, security and like identity management, uh, making an access or a authorization, authentication change in one CSP and propagating that across to, to affect the same deployment in another CSP. There are a lot of complicated things that have to, have to be solved for um, before distributed cloud is really going to be easy. Um, I think it's a great goal, though, and I think containerization would be a, a, an absolute requirement at this point for, to even uh, consider making that happen. Does that mean in 20 years we'll have so many abstractions that nobody will have any idea how it actually works? Uh, CSP as a public utility. <laughs> <laughs> what are the ones and zeros? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the promise or that's the like the dream of 
of containerization, right? It runs on my laptop, it runs in Azure, it runs in AWS, it runs on Google, it runs uh, on, your on your refrigerator, it runs on a, on a stack at a cell tower uh, on the edge, and, it, and the developer never has to take that into consideration at all. And we can do a whole podcast on the security ramifications of it running everywhere around that. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple more trends that, you know, Gartner's identified. One is, you know, composable applications in enterprise, and another is low-code, no-code. Wanted to get your kind of insights on those two trends. So composable, man, it can mean, it can mean so much. Um, I think when we talk about composable enterprise, we're talking about... Uh, an enterprise architecture that involves the connecting of both custom and off-the-shelf uh, SaaS is what we refer to when we say off-the-shelf nowadays, of course. Um, weaving together the, the software that runs your business by leveraging uh, the right service for the right job versus these huge monolithic suites of uh, single vendor uh, solutions. So what what that means is when one piece isn't working, you can take it out and replace it with another piece, right? So, I mean, a lot of things in tech are not literal. Uh, I think when we talk about composable, it, it, it's, it really is literally composing your enterprise architecture and the applications required to run your business from uh, infinite Lego set of, of offerings and that giving you the flexibility to uh, change and upgrade parts of your enterprise independently. Now, when we talk about a composable application from a microservices standpoint, uh, it's about enterprises being able to leverage these services to create uh, new lines of business applications um, by the virtue of reuse of these single-purpose, uh, very loosely coupled uh, pieces of functionality. So it can mean a lot of things. Question for you, Fred, because you know we've been talking about at the application layer, but data just doesn't come along for free. So what are the implications as we start to move to these cloud-native that you know, our audience needs to think about from a data perspective? I think so long. It's kind of the same thing that um, that organizations have needed to think about for the last, you know, 10, 20 years when it comes to their data, which is, um, you know, make sure you're collecting the data that you want and make sure it's accessible and retrievable so that you can either centralize it or put it in a place that um, your various apps can start using it. Because, you know, I think one of the big things we're seeing is as apps become more containerized and more distributed and more single purpose, um, what we're creating is a whole bunch of data silos in the process. And so you'll have very specific marketing apps that do one thing, maybe they only do email campaigns, and then you have another one that's really good at creating personas. Now all these applications need to start sharing data, and if you create this point-to-point -point integration, you take away one of those applications and boom, you've just broken the entire spider web chain of data going all over the place. So I think what organizations need to do is start to put plans together as they start to adopt and uh, modernize their applications. How are they gonna leverage the data that is 
these applications are both collecting and consuming, and how can they make that data available um, to the rest of the applications within the organization? So, Jesse, I mean, as you're talking to clients, first of all, is data a second-class citizen for them, or are they thinking about that holistically? So early adopters of of microservices and the, the more distributed approach uh, found out very quickly what happens when you move the data into purpose-built uh, databases and wall, wall it off around a service boundary. It becomes very difficult to re-aggregate that data and report. And we see the advent of, uh, or the re, the re-emergence of enterprise service bus type uh, connections between microservices uh, f- so that the right services have copies of the right data. And now that just spawns another problem, right? So now you, you take in the, the concept of single responsibility all the way down to uh, data persistence, and now you're making copies of that data. So now this each of these services grab copies of the data they need for performance. You've got an analytics and a reporting uh, concern. So where, where, do, where do you get the data to aggregate to do the reporting? And it, and it just goes on and on from there, right? So early adopters really uncovered uh, this challenge with a microservice and a distributed architecture. And we're, we're still solving that problem as a, as a group of technologists. So do we still have the term database administrator or has that been incorporated into the the developers as a part of just what they're doing? Or do they have the knowledge to understand the impact and ramifications of these new services with data? It's another one of those things that um, like DevOps and sysadmins, it's a little mm-hmm. little bit of both, right? You get rid of it and put it all in the developers. And uh, you know, there were there were certain DBA activities that have been done over the you know the last decade that, you know, data modeling, for instance, that's something that belongs more on the business side, coexisting with the developers, um, understanding how to um, both secure and size and uh, configure your database and keep it going. Now a lot of that has shifted to the cloud service providers, but it hasn't completely taken it away. Um, from the organization's responsibility. So is it the same big job that it was before? It depends on how you're hosting everything. If everything is in the cloud, um, do you still need a little bit of it? Yes. Do organizations find themselves missing some of those skills? I think definitely yes. It's, it follows the shared responsibility model uh, for the CSPs, right? Um, what you're referring to like backups and archiving and all these things that DBAs, uh, that was half of their job. And then the other half of their job was to help developers get the schema correct and, uh, you know, make a sensible model of, of what's going on in the business. When you go to these managed platforms and uh, the, at the C- CSPs offer, half of your job is now a checkbox that says, please back this up and archive it. And pushing the the responsibility for performance and modeling into the team makes the, the database-minded person part of that cross-functional development team now instead of sitting with the sysadmins and 
and the networking folks. So it's an evolution of what what that role can can be, but you're always going to have to tune and performance tune a relational database. I mean, that's somebody always has to do that. Um, but I think we're going to find that those folks are going to be sitting on on the Scrum teams versus sitting in the uh, server rooms, the virtual server rooms. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to kind of wrap this up. How can our listeners know if they're ready? And, you know, what are some of the questions they should ask themselves? So it really doesn't matter if you feel like you're ready or not. The impetus is there. You have to get ready for this. And the questions you should be asking yourself are, am I able to release features to the market fast enough to satisfy users and to keep up with my competitors? Are my developers, are they able to push out code in a way that is consistent and high quality and supports that ability to push these features out faster and faster? So if you're not ready, get ready. And thankfully, we're here to help you with that, right? And from the application modernization practice at Second Watch, we help clients figure out where to start on that journey. Because if you're sitting on hundreds of applications in your portfolio and you don't have good observability and you don't have a good idea of what all these things are doing and what their business value is, it can be daunting, even if you feel like you're ready to start. So regardless of whether you're in the cloud already or on-prem, we can help with that portfolio rationalization and help you get started. Well, I mean, that's going to bring up another question, though. Do organizations and companies have the talent to do this? I mean, we're in a talent shortage right now. Do they have the talent to be able to take this on themselves? It varies, obviously. But overall, I would say that that's a huge concern. So going back to are you ready, how do you know if you're ready for this? That has to be one of the things that you take into consideration. Do I have the culture and the resources in-house to achieve these modernization goals? So a guided application rationalization process is absolutely necessary regardless of whether you can tackle the implementation and the execution phase or not. And where can Second Watch help clients get ready and build up that talent. So we really pride ourselves on a do it with you approach over a do it for you approach. So when you engage with Second Watch and we get through a rationalization process, we get through some deep dive assessments on some good candidates to start your modernization journey. We also can step in and help your teams actually execute this work and we can either embed with your team, we can offer a team that executes side by side with your teams. We really are flexible and our intent is to leave the client with the knowledge and the know-how to operate, enhance, and, and run these new applications. All right, last, last question. Give us a success story of where we've been able to go in and help a client. And, and what did we do? What did we help them achieve? So we had a client that desperately wanted to uh, migrate off of a licensed database platform onto something open source and managed in the cloud. 
we help the client assess the application changes that were would be required. We help them plan for that migration, and we actually executed a successful migration from a very expensive platform to a much more cost-effective solution on a managed database CSP. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us here on Cloud Crunch. Jesse, I want to say a great appreciation for you coming on to the podcast. This has been Cloud Crunch with Michael Elliott. Joining me today, as always, has been Fred Bliss, CTO of All Things Data, with special guest today, Jesse Sam, Practice Director, Application Modernization here at Second Watch. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate your time. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Cloud Crunch with Michael Elliott and Fred Bliss. For more information, check out the blog, secondwatch.com forward slash cloud dash blog, or reach out to Second Watch on Twitter and LinkedIn. 